Welcome to Sideline Sleuths, a true crime podcast all about the tragic yet fascinating cases no one can seem to get enough of. I'm Megan. And I'm Jasmine. We're so glad you're listening. If you like being an armchair detective, you'll love being a sideline sleuth. We write and record our episodes weeks or sometimes even months before they are released to you guys. So a few weeks after I wrote this one, it was actually featured on Dr. Oz, and it's got a bunch more attention, which is great and will help the family get justice for their daughter. But now some of you may already be familiar with it. If not, you're in for a crazy story. Today we're going to talk about the 2011 death of a woman named Ellen Greenberg who died in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Usually the deaths we present to you are murders, but today's case is so mysterious that even investigators aren't sure. They've gone back and forth between suicide and homicide, with their current stance being suicide. However, there are some factors that you just can't explain, leaving everyone to wonder what happened to Ellen Greenberg and how did she die? So here's what we know. Nearly nine years ago, on January 26, 2011, Ellen Ray Greenberg, a 27-year-old elementary school teacher, was found dead in her Philadelphia apartment. She had been stabbed to death. She was discovered around 6.30 p.m. by her fiancé, Samuel Goldberg, and she had 20 stab wounds, 10 of which were to the back of her neck. 20 stab wounds? But they think this is suicide? Right? Sounds fishy already. Uh, that sounds like another case I know. Is it Jonathan Luna? Yeah. Yes. We actually, he's connected-ish, sort of. What? So the knife wounds that ultimately killed her were to her chest. Her apartment building where she died had 24-hour security and a key card system, making it nearly impossible for an intruder to have entered and killed her. Investigators or an intruder that didn't live there. Yeah, I guess it could have been a neighbor. Investigators ruled her death a homicide, then just a suspicious death, and then finally a suicide. But police, like orig- like the first people on the scene, originally thought suicide. So it was kind of like suicide, homicide, suspicious, suicide. So like a full circle. This is really bizarre. I just can't imagine like rolling up to the scene and being like, oh, some back of your neck stabs. Yeah. She killed herself. Yeah. Like, I don't know why that's your first thought. Well, I guess we'll hear what their thoughts are. I don't know. Medical examiners ruled her death a homicide initially, but the police were the ones who were like, I think it's a suicide. Oh, that never happened. Yes, I know. When in the history of ever do the police, like first responders get to determine the cause of death? It is supposed to be the ME. Yeah. On March 7th, so more than a month after she died, her cause of death was changed to suicide by the medical examiner, allegedly to align the findings with that of responding officers. There's so much wrong with that, but okay. Neighbors would later tell police when questioned that other than them hearing Samuel Goldberg, Ellen's fiance, banging on the door to the unit just before he found her, there were no signs or sounds that indicated there had been any kind of disturbance. Wait, why does he have to bang on the door? Doesn't he live there? He does live there, but here I will tell you. This is my key card theory that I'm already like developing, but yes. go ahead. Ellen's behavior leading up to her death is what you might call worrisome. People close to Ellen said that she was going through an abnormally anxious time period because mm. she was about to get married. Her wedding was stressing her out. And she was a teacher. And I'm sure I'm a little biased, Say but there is no, no more. No stress like teacher stress. 
Reportedly, about a month or two before she died, her behavior changed so significantly that she went from being bubbly and outgoing to everybody noticing her being anxious and unsettled. When they asked her what was going on, she said that there had just been some changes at her job, like some new regulations. It was just stressing her out. A woman named Debbie, who said she was one of Ellen's best friends, said that Ellen went from being, quote, one of the happiest people I knew to being filled with anxiety, end quote. One of her co-workers, a woman named Amy, said that, yeah, of course Ellen was stressed. Teachers are stressed. But she didn't seem to be any more stressed than the rest of them. That's not a good benchmark. Yeah, because just because we're all on fire and you're a little bit more on fire doesn't yeah. make... I mean, it's we're not like All of us yeah. are fi- on yeah. fire. This is fine. Yeah, yeah. All of our fires are equal, so no need to panic. Don't call it the fire department. But anyway, Ellen sent out save the dates for her wedding, which would have been in August of that year. She sent them out four days before she died. There had been a recent search on her computer about quick suicides, painless suicides, and suicide methods. Mm. She also at some point texted her mom saying something along the lines of not being able to go on, which is no doubt worrisome, but she was taking a prescription where one of the side effects was suicidal thoughts. Mm. So she had just switched to it? I think... So she was really anxious, and her parents suggested, I'm not sure if we say that, but we might. Her parents suggested she go see a professional. Well, so she gets on some medicine, and one of the side effects is suicidal thoughts. Can you believe it? Yeah, like you go to get help for your mental like health struggles, and it gives you different ones. Mm. On January 8th, she texted her mom saying, I know you don't understand, but I can't keep living with feeling this way. But nine days later, she told her mom that the medication seemed to be helping her. So, yeah, so she probably was just finally leveling out. Yeah. So like I said a second ago, her parents suggested that she go see a professional. And Ellen said, okay, I'm trying. Just a bit scared for everything. And then she did go see a psychiatrist. Three times, actually. Mm-hmm. He prescribed her Klonopin and Ambien, a sedative and a sleep aid, and then an anti-anxiety medication not long before her death. Warnings for the medication included suicidal ideations. The National Center for Biotechnology Information researched the link between self-harming behaviors and benzodiazepines. That study examined a case of a, quote, previously stable 62-year-old man who inflicted serious stab wounds to himself twice within a month while taking the psychoactive medication, end quote. Oh, my goodness. Although something like that is rare, other institutions in Canada and Sweden have published similar studies that associate self-harm tendencies with the use of benzodiazepines. Dr. Oz said that Ellen was prescribed Zoloft and Xanax, but neither of those were found in her system. I repeatedly saw Klonopin and Ambien in my research, but her parents didn't correct Dr. Oz on the show, so something like that. So there's like a a sleep aid and an anxiety medicine, but I'm not sure like which, but you know, there's been conflicting reports about what the exact prescription was. Okay. But I'm sure they all have the same generic name, right? They just have a fancy... Yeah, potentially. I think there's lots and lots of different... You know what I mean? Yeah. But they all essentially do the same-ish thing. Yeah. Either way, she was prescribed medicine by a psychiatrist that was supposed to help with her anxiety. Yeah. Dr. Oz said that taking these medications and then suddenly stopping can lead to severe psychoactive withdrawals, which can include aggressive behaviors and suicidal thoughts. So they weren't found in her system, so that means she was taking them and then she just stopped abruptly and then that's what led to it so it seems like 
either she was taking them and they gave her suicidal thoughts or she was she taking them and she stopped and they gave her these. Gosh. It's, it's like, like you can't win. Yeah. It's so dangerous you to tiptoe around so many things. I feel like there's not a lot known about like, I guess, antidepressants and anxiety medicines. But like people, I mean, you have to try yeah. them because you can't. I mean, I understand the need to. Yeah, it's just like it's tired of living like, that way, needing some extra help. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with needing extra help, but it is kind of worrisome to be like, am I going to create a new problem? Yeah. There's not enough known about it. It really is just trial and error, and that seems like a different, I don't know, level of scary or different realm of scary. Not that this is related to depression, but do you see the Humera commercials on TV? Uh, the medicine sounds familiar. Yeah. I can't Every remember. time they're like, if take this, it, like take Humera if you have this, and then it lists the possible side effects, and they're always so much worse than whatever you were taking Humera for, and I'm like, I will take my chances. Yeah. So just- but then also I feel like, well, I guess, yes, because they're always doing like the speed talking and mm-hmm. listing all the crazy things, and you're like, what, 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 yeah. what? But then, then you have to realize that the people that are taking those medications, whatever they're going through, whatever. They're probably like at their lot, like I got to do something, yeah. yeah. Sad day. Ellen Psychiatrist also named Ellen, said that she, the patient Ellen, was feeling overwhelmed at work and described her as having severe anxiety, but said there was never a feeling or any inclination that she was experiencing suicidal thoughts. She diagnosed her with an adjustment issue with anxiety. She didn't note that Ellen was depressed or anything like that. It was just anxiety. Anxiety. She went on to say that there were no issues with Ellen and her fiancé Samuel, that Ellen spoke highly of him and always did so with a smile. Mm-hmm. Weeks after her death, the Pennsylvania Attorney General's office said that an analysis of Ellen's computer found those searches I mentioned earlier. Methods, quick suicide, and painless suicide. Mm-hmm. Remember the painless one, I guess. That should just, like, hold okay. on to that thought in your brain. All right, classic foreshadow. Her parents say that just because those searches were on her computer, that doesn't mean she was the person who searched them. That's what I was thinking. I was like, is it her only her computer? Yeah, Yeah, I search things on on Jonathan's computer all the time. I leave mine logged in, like, and people come in and be like, Megan, can I use your printer really quick? Like, they do, like, in my office, they'll do anything. So I don't know what they're looking at. Yeah, child, I have my Chromebook out on my desk away from the kids, and sometimes they still search. Yeah. Like, how do you get over there, kid? By her third appointment, her psychiatrist said that Ellen was improving. The Ellens saw each other last on January 19th, 2011, and then Ellen Greenberg died on January 26th, just one week later. Gosh, that's such a, does, well, if she's saying that, in, also in three sessions, I think there's a lot of stuff that you might not necessarily uncover. Yeah. It's just hard to get to the meat of people's real, yeah, yeah experience. But to say that you had no inclination, and that was like right around the time period where apparently it was so bad that she was like on the verge yeah, and no like inclination, you know. not even like, well, I was, you know, we weren't there yet, but may- yeah. but she was like, no. Yeah, and she's probably trained to like tiptoe around yeah. those questions and get that kind mm-hmm. of, get a feel for that. Ellen's father, Joshua, said that not long before her death, Ellen asked if she could move back home and live with them. That's big. And like, she gave no explanation. She's about to get married. She said That's it had huge. nothing to do with Samuel. She just wanted to come home. Mm-hmm. One of the markers that someone might be experiencing suicidal thoughts is that they make preparations. They might visit family or friends that they haven't seen in a while, make a will, give away possessions, things like that. Making plans for the future directly contradicts making plans for the end of your life. So if she was suicidal, she was going to go home to say bye to her parents, why did she send out the save the dates just four days before she died? Yeah. But true, I feel like also when you're starting new medications, like you can be up and down. Yeah. 
Another thing her parents mentioned was that she filled her car up with gas on the way home from work on the day that she died. Mm. Why do that yeah, if you're yeah. not going to drive it? And she was also making a fruit salad literally at the time she died. Like the knives on the counter, she was cutting fruit. What? Why are you about to eat fruit salad? This is very bizarre. She was making wedding plans and she was scheduling things with her friends. So none of it really makes sense. But let's talk about the crime scene. When Samuel, her fiancé, found her, she had a 10-inch serrated knife lodged four inches into her chest, so deep that he didn't even notice it at first. That same knife caused the stab wounds all over her body. Hmm. Asterisk. Some of her injuries were eight shallow wounds about 0.2 centimeters in her chest, a scalp wound that was 2.5 inches long, and a two-inch deep wound in her abdomen. A scalp wound. Like, like a gash, a, kind of, I think. Uh, okay, so not necessarily created by the knife. We'll get there. Oh, thank you for She had me. 10 wounds to the back of her neck, and then there's an image posted on the Justice for Ellen page that says, like, explains all of them. So 20 stab wounds total, 10 to the back of the neck, 8 to the chest, 1 to the head, 1 to the abdomen. So it was a stab wound. Okay. She was found sitting on her kitchen floor. Like, the top half of her body propped up against the the lower cabinets, like, slumped down. There were two clean knives in the kitchen sink and freshly sliced fruit on a counter. In her left hand, she was holding a practically spotless white hand towel. The apartment showed no signs of forced entry, and it was locked from the inside. So Samuel left at, like, 4.45 to go to the gym, and... Ellen had got let out of school early that day because a blizzard was coming. So they, like, hung out at home for a while. At 4.45, he goes to the gym. He returns 30 minutes later, so it's, like, 5.15, and he is unable to gain access into the apartment because the door had been locked with the swing bar from the inside. So he's trapped in the hallway for more than an hour. He's sending Ellen really angry text messages because he thinks she's locked him out and is refusing to let him in. But why would you do that? Yeah, I don't know. At some point, he goes to the only security guard downstairs and asks for help breaking into his apartment, but that guy tells him that it's against the policy. So eventually, he kicks the door in himself and finds Ellen. The apartment building security cameras only pick up individuals who enter the building through the lobby, so there is no record of an intruder. Oh, gosh. And there are no cameras in the hallway leading up to the units. And, as you know, there was no sign of forced entry into their specific unit either. Except for the kicked-in door. Yeah, but he did that. So that was, like, explainable. And because the snow surrounding their balcony, they lived in the sixth-floor unit, was undisturbed, they didn't think an intruder could have entered or exited through the patio. This is wild. Yeah. This is... So either Ellen killed herself... Or someone who's allowed to be in the building with a key card killed her, and then where did they go? The, the locked yeah. door. It still is weird. Samuel called 911 at 6:33 and performed CPR on Ellen, but seven minutes in, he was told to stop when he noticed the knife lodged in her chest. Oh my gosh! Investigators said, in addition to there being no sign of an intruder. There was also no evidence suggesting that Ellen tried to flee or defend herself against an attacker. Police found no signs of an intruder anywhere in the apartment, 
It was clean. The furniture was in order. Nothing was out of the ordinary. An absolute, and my mind is yeah, like completely. Like, like, just seems impossible. Yeah. Her body was in the kitchen, just inside the front door, and her legs were like set out like she was against the cabinet. So her like legs are like sprawled out in front of her, and she's like slumped over with like her shoulders resting on the cabinets, kind of like this. Yeah. Not that that helps you guys because you can't <laughs> see what I just did, but basically try to make a double chin, and that's how it was. Okay. Yeah. In her left hand, she had that white towel. Like she's been stabbed twenty times. Why and is that towel pristine. pristine? Yeah. And there's no blood in the unit anywhere other than the kitchen. The knife only showed Ellen's DNA and no defensive wounds on her hands. Not uh, that that means, like, just because you have no defensive wounds doesn't mean you weren't attacked. Is but. this like Jonathan Luna where there were no defensive wounds? But there were defensive wounds. I don't no. think so. I think she legitimately didn't, didn't have, defensive have defensive wounds. Defensive. Not like they were lying about the defensive wounds because the FBI is corrupt. Sheesh. My mind is doing the, the easy thing where it's just like, Okay, he just kicked the door down. Like her boyfriend just yeah. kicked the door, her fiance. But, but I mean, the neighbors heard the, all of that, so he wouldn't have had time to do the rest of it. Yeah, I I'm I know that that's the easy way. Yeah. So I know. I mean, like I I am trying to talk myself out of it, but but by the yeah. same token, I'm just like it doesn't make any sense. He's the last person that saw her. You know. Yeah. And like, why would she be locking you out of the door unless you guys had like? Some and how convenient that you went or, downstairs to try to get another person to like corroborate that you went upstairs and found her. Yeah, and you're gone for 30 minutes. Like, how could this go down yeah, in 30 minutes? Not it's a, clue. a lot of stab wounds. It's a lot of anger, passion. Yeah. And we talked about even with Jonathan Luna. How do you stab yourself? Mo- like, yeah, I can't stab myself times. once. Yeah. How do you stab yourself multiple times? That was what, like 30 stab wounds? She had 20. Upwards he had 30. 36. Yeah. Yeah. So she she's upwards of. Yeah, she's she upwards 20. of 30. Oh, yeah, 20. She has 20. He had 30. 20 total. So weird that you just brought this up because my next sentence was, if you remember the Jonathan Luna episode, <laughs> which also took place in Pennsylvania, coincidentally, he didn't have defensive wounds either. And then I literally wrote, or he air quotes did it. And you just did the air quotes <laughs> at the end. So like we're vibing again. Ellen's parents hired a man named Tom Brennan, as well as a whole slew of other professionals. But Tom Brennan is a retired state trooper with 24 years of experience and he was previously a detective. Dr. Oz called him an investigative consultant, and to be honest, that is now my dream job. I would like to be an investigative consultant. Oh my gosh, I'm rooting for you so hard yeah, I now. think we could both do it. There's like a call on the sidelines. And like, but have you ever investigated real cases? No. And we'll be like, have you listened to this podcast? <laughs> we just rehash our details work. and come up with theories, yeah. So Tom Brennan said the lack of defensive wounds on her body doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean that they had to be self-inflicted. According to him, it's possible that she was caught totally off guard by her attacker, and in her complete surprise, she wasn't given the opportunity to defend herself. Yeah. He called this a blitz attack. <gasps> I could do this job. See? Those were my next yeah. words. Mm-hmm. And she has that that head wound, yeah. the gash mm-hmm. to her head. Yeah, so, so they could have like incapacitated her, and then one hundred percent concussion. You're yeah. out. You can't. You're not going to defend yourself if you're out. So now we are Je- Megan and Jasmine, investigative consultant. Uh, so give us a call. Yeah. <laughs> Then he mentions a significant amount of bruising on Ellen's body and says that that could have been signs of a struggle. So just that there's not defensive wounds to the knife doesn't mean she didn't put up a fight. She had a lot of bruising, so she could have been restrained somehow. And that like that could have prevented her from defending herself, or that could have been her defending herself. I got you. He specifically mentioned some bruising on her wrist, which to him indicated that she was being held, held yes. by her wrists. Mm-hmm. Bye, Tom. I know, I like him. Police initially treated Ellen's death as a suicide, 
But Marlon Osborne, the assistant Philadelphia medical examiner who performed Ellen's autopsy, had other thoughts. He labeled each of Ellen's knife wounds with different letters beginning at A and ending with T. The wound labeled N is kind of at the top of her spine, like base of her skull, and it has been determined to be a near fatal wound. Her chest wounds ranged in depth from 0.2 centimeters all the way to four inches, which was the knife that was lodged in her chest that Samuel discovered during CPR. She also had the two inch wound in her stomach and a two and a half inch long wound across her scalp. That one has been referred to as a gash or a laceration. There were 10 wounds ranging from what were described as nicks all the way to a three inch deep one found on the back of her neck. Marlon Osborne also noted that Ellen had 11 bruises on her body, all in various stages of healing. He concluded the autopsy and reported her cause of death to be a homicide. And then that's when the homicide unit got involved. But on January 29th, they said that they were still leaning towards suicide despite that ruling and looking into the quote-unquote mental illnesses that Ellen had. And we mentioned earlier that the police do not get to decide your cause of death. Yeah, and I'm grateful for that. If Yeah, like, who are y'all? The Emmy is a doctor. Yeah, and he's trained to do this, and he's, I mean... Like, he would know the science and, like, the impossibility of something. Not yeah. the cop who's just like, I don't know, there was no sign of fourth century. Suicide. He'd be like... thinking about the... the the, the spine wounded. base of the skull thing? Yeah. We're just talk about it. Okay. Yeah, that to me doesn't feel like something you can do yourself. To yourself. Uh, yeah. Remember in John really Luna when they said they, he got stabbed between his shoulder blades and we were sitting here like the whole time trying to hit ourselves in the back right there? Like, could we stab ourselves between uh-huh. our shoulder blades? It, yeah. It doesn't feel right for me. And I all, uh, I don't know. I just uh, I haven't heard one suspicion of this fiancé fella. And so, I, I don't know. Like, I don't know if we... We never get to a person, I okay. guess. Like, it's just more like, I guess we can get to a person once we get to the people to agree how it happened. Okay. Yeah. I, I just, I don't like the idea of the medical examiner coming to an independent finding and then switching it to match a police report. Like collusion or something. Yeah. Like, why are you doing that? Did they, were you bullied into this? I don't know. So, to try and help them be more sure about Ellen's manner of death, investigators hired an outside neuropathologist to look at Ellen's spinal cord. Remember, she had injuries to her neck, so they wanted to see if the spinal cord was damaged, and and that would have caused paralysis, you know, and then she would not have been able to continue the stabbing, including the fatal one in her chest. So, I want you to note that I said the words, outside neuropathologist, Mm -hmm. which implies that there was an inside one first, right? Ah, this is what we try to teach the kids. What information are they not telling you? There is just one sentence in Ellen's autopsy about neuropathology, and it said, quote, Neuropathologist Dr. Lucy Rourke examined the spinal cord and concluded there is no defect of the spinal cord, end quote. So, remember this. So now, for the findings from the outside guy. Okay. Reportedly, that exam concluded that Ellen's spinal cord sheath was hit by the knife, but it was not severed which means she was not paralyzed, but she was likely numb, and by being numb would have been able to continue to repeatedly stab herself without feeling the pain that would come with it. Oh, this sounds so brutal. But she was Googling painless suicide methods. She didn't know that she was going to be able to stab herself to the point of not feeling pain. You're making a really strong point. She didn't want to go in a painful way. So So why would she choose this way? There are a bunch of ways that are less painful than this that I can think of right off the top of my head. Yeah. The Office of the Medical Examiner then changed their ruling to suicide, and 
her parents were devastated. They actually learned about it in the news. They weren't even told by them. Come on, guys. That's not cool. And that's when they decided that they, meaning the Greenbergs, would continue this investigation themselves. They paid for Ellen's autopsy report and the photos from the autopsy and the crime scene, and they hired their own outside professionals. They had to pay for those things? Yeah, I guess because it's like, it's probably for printing, like how many pages it is or some crazy stuff like that. But So I have all of these little subheadings in our script, and the next several ones are just the names and titles of experts that Ellen's parents hired or experts outside of the original investigation team who have worked or consulted on this case. They and this team of people have done a lot of work here that's really impressive and extensive. You will see by how many different people they brought in on their own. So Dr. Cyril Wecht is a forensic pathologist. So first they sent the documents to him. He is both an MD and a JD. So he's a lawyer doctor man and I'm going to trust that he knows his stuff because that seems hard. Yeah, to do both. Most people just do one if they do one. Yeah. He is a forensic pathologist by trade and well-known for challenging the theory that Lee Harvey Oswald alone killed JFK. He called the single bullet theory, quote, an asinine pseudoscientific sham at best, end quote. And he even wrote a whole book about it. So he reviewed Ellen's documents and said, quote, I don't understand how they wrote this off as a suicide, end quote. And then he released a five-page report in January of 2012. You can find that in our source list. And he called Ellen's death, quote, strongly suspicious of homicide, end quote. He said that the stabbing through her clothing is uncommon in suicide, which is one reason many people slit their wrists, because that skin is exposed. He said stabbing through your clothing indicates more likely than not a homicide. So, like, so the one in her stomach went through her shirt. She didn't, like, pull her shirt up and stab herself in the stomach. So, like, wouldn't you want to see, if you're going to stab yourself, wouldn't you want to see where you were being stabbed at? So you I don't would, know. I, first I off, so. I wouldn't first stab off, myself. Yeah, I wouldn't stab myself. Second off, no, I wouldn't want to But I don't think it. I would blindly stab myself through my clothing. I have a hard time putting, like, the idea that your EpiPen goes through your pants, you know? Like, let alone yeah. an actual knife, you I know? get what you're saying. That's interesting. I, I guess I never, I, you'd have to be an expert to study mm-hmm. the patterns and, like, it's, it's unusual to do that. He said that more likely than not, it's a homicide, but he didn't have access to the police notes or any of the files from their investigation when forming his conclusion, just the official documents, like the autopsy, mm-hmm. not like the little notes they jot to themselves during an investigation. He couldn't okay. see any of that. So next, the Greenbergs hired a private attorney named Larry Krasner. Police wouldn't release their files to him either, but they were able to look through everything, but they couldn't make copies or take photographs of them. And that seems suspicious to me because if you're confident in your decision and you have nothing to hide, why can't they have them? If you were both on the side of that before too, though, I just feel like you're trying to you're you're creating a barrier for no reason. Like, yeah, there's nothing else to know, and you want that case. You're trying to close that case. Yeah. Well, it's close to them. It's It's a suicide. So if you're confident it's a suicide, then show them your notes. Mm. If you're both on the side of justice, what is your reasoning for not giving the family this information? And Larry Krasner is not currently their attorney, but he was, like, the first guy that they brought in. So, remember that outside neuropathology comment a yes, little bit ago? Yes, I do. Well, the note mentioned a woman named Lucy Rourke Adams, who worked for the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, but was doing contract neuropathology work for the medical examiner in 2011 when Ellen died. Well, this guy named Guy, this guy named Guy D'Andrea, he was a prosecutor, he looked through that file and he couldn't locate 
Dr. Rourke's work. Like, he couldn't find anything. Just that one sentence that said she said it wasn't damaged, but nothing about her actual report. Just that (gasps) sentence in the summary. So there's no neuropathology report. There's nothing. There's no evidence that it ever existed or that she ever said that. That she ever did it. She ever even saw the part of her spinal cord. Nothing. (gasps) So he requested from... But they weren't allowed to take pictures of this. No, they have anything official, like the autopsy, the medical reports, they have all that stuff. It's just the police's notes that they can't have. Okay, okay. Like the really informal communication. Like official case documents the family got, but not investigative notes. And in those notes, there's no proof that she ever said anything or ever had anything to do with the case. In the official case document, it says that she looked at it and concluded that it was not damaged the part where she'd be paralyzed. But so he's going through that and he's like, okay, well, let me see her report. I want to see her say that rather yeah. than your summary. Right. And, and her, her report's not there. Nothing. Wow. So he like requested this document because he couldn't find it in the case file. So he goes to the medical examiner and requests that. And they said that either one, it can't be found, or two, it never existed. So, both are not cool. Yeah, <laughs> that's a great one. Both are not cool. So he decides then to contact her. Heck yeah, that's what I was thinking. And there's not even a receipt or an invoice. She's a contracted neuropathologist. So she so they, would have one. There should have at least been an invoice or a receipt that said she did that for them. Even if you can't find her report, there's no receipt there or invoice either. Yeah. transaction. Yeah. There's even no... just for tax purposes. Yeah. So she said that, quote, I would conclude that I did not see the specimen in question, although there is a remote possibility that it was shown to me. However, I have no recollection of such a case, end quote. That's a pretty neutral statement. I guess that would mean maybe they showed her unofficially. Like, hey, what do you think about this? But she didn't really work on it. So then why did you put in your document that she, that she was your... That's, she there's a, that's There's a lot of sketchery around that. Yeah. I don't feel good about that at all. I just don't know why the police would falsify or... Like, I get it in certain cases, like Jonathan Luna or Tom Brown, when the suspects are the cops. But, yeah. like... These and you have something just to, like some Pennsylvania yeah. dudes. Like, they have something to gain or lose by it, like, swaying things a certain way. So... To me, it feels strange. Like, maybe they just missed something and then didn't want to admit that they missed something. So, like, cover their butt. They just wrote that in there really quick. Like, Dr. Lucy said that it was not good. Yeah, Yeah. it's all good. And then they're like, you can't, but you can't prove that Dr. Lucy ever even was consulted. This is very strange. Yeah. So, Tom Brennan, the retired state trooper detective guy, is a member of this really cool thing called the VDOC Society, which, if you don't know what it is... Google now, V-I-D-O-C-Q, or Google at the end of this episode. But it's a bunch of investigative professionals who get together and use their expert opinions and experiences to review cold cases, and they do it for free. And their website, it says truth begets truth on it, and it just looks like an undercover society of badass cops. And You also want to be part of that, I would don't love you? To do that. <laughs> that would be goals. So... Tom Brennan discovered that there is a portion of Ellen Greenberg's spinal cord in storage at the medical examiner's office. So they had it, they just never consulted a neuropathologist. So then he hires this guy named Dr. Wayne Ross, who you might remember, but probably not, as being the forensic pathologist who did Jonathan Luna's autopsy. This is the, oh, okay. Yeah. So he worked at the Lancaster County Coroner's Office. So he hires that guy, and Dr. Ross says that one of Ellen's stab wounds penetrated her cranial cavity. So that's the one you were talking about, the base of her skull with the top of her spine, and it, quote, severed the cranial nerves and brain. As a result, she would experience severe pain and impaired or loss of consciousness, end quote. 
Apparently, her wounds also caused a brain hemorrhage, which would have prevented her from being able to continue to stab herself or allegedly stab herself at all. Wow. That's polar opposite finding. Yeah. After straight up examining her spinal cord, yeah. like, how else do you, yeah, so how yeah. do you refute that? Yeah. Oh, I'm very upset, but I like this Wendu. So the first neuropathologist said that she was numb and she would feel no pain. And then Wayne's like, no, she would have been experiencing extreme pain. Which we know she didn't want. And yeah, because she was Googling painless suicides. So this is the wound that was labeled N that I was telling you guys about a second ago that was considered to be near fatal. So... Why did investigators claim that a neuropathologist, a very specific and well-known one that you could look up, looked at it if she didn't? And also the big question I'm asking is, how did Ellen Greenberg fatally stab herself while experiencing extreme pain, her brain hemorrhaging, and also being unconscious? You yeah. don't. Yeah. It, it doesn't add up. Even if it's just like, if you're in extreme pain, how are you going to continue to do that? Because it goes back to the fundamental, like, if you're... Why? How can you stab yourself multiple times? Yeah. How can you stab yourself multiple times? Super painful. But then these other things are scientific. You will yourself to do that once you've experienced the first bout of pain. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So honestly, the numb conclusion would have made way more sense. But the the problem here is that both of these reports are coming from extremely credentialed experts, but they're totally opposite. So who do you believe? Well, if you want it to be suicide, you're going to believe that other person. But if you want it to be homicide, you're going to believe Wayne Ross. But who do you believe if you just want the truth? Who is more right? Who do you trust? As a former science teacher, it's a numbers game. You try to replicate the results. You get more experts. You get more conclusions. And if more and more experts are concluding homicide, that's who you trust. If more and more experts conclude suicide, then that's who you trust. But you don't trust the outlier. So... A man named Henry Lee, he's a forensic scientist in Connecticut who is maybe best known for testifying on behalf of the defense in O.J. Simpson's murder trial, but he also worked on other high-profile cases like John Bonet Ramsey in 1996. Wow. So what did Henry Lee think about Ellen's death? Homicide. Mm. He concluded, quote, the number and types of wounds and bloodstain patterns observed are consistent with a homicide scene, end quote. It's worth mentioning that Henry Lee has come under some criticism. In 2007, a judge said that he hid or destroyed evidence from a crime scene, an allegation that he, of course, denies. In the summer of 2019, the Connecticut Supreme Court concluded that he, quote, erred in murder trial testimony, end quote, by mm. saying that an item tested positive for blood when, in fact, it was not tested at all. Oh, pretty. Yeah, so... He's still highly respected in the forensic science world and is the director of forensic research and training at the Henry C. Lee Institute of Forensic Science and a professor in forensic science at the University of New Haven in Connecticut. Mm. He works as a consultant for countless police departments and has written or co-authored over 40 books. So he may, he may have made a little mistake, but that doesn't like invalidate Indicate. his conclusion, yeah. but I felt like I should tell you that he's not always right. Okay. The Philadelphia Inquirer, not to be confused with the national tabloid, covers local Philadelphia news. They had two independent experts also review the medical examiner's reports, autopsy photos, and crime scene photos. One was Gregory McDonald, Dean of the School of Health Sciences at the Philadelphia College of Osteopathic Medicine and Chief Deputy Coroner for Montgomery County. In reference to the shallow hesitation cuts on Ellen's body, he said, quote, 
Those tend not to occur in homicides. They, meaning attackers with a knife, will stab you, not hesitate significantly. The other issue is it wouldn't have been impossible for her to inflict them upon herself. It is unlikely, it is unusual, but it is not impossible, end quote. Ellen didn't only have hesitation wounds, though. Other than the fatal wounds, she had others that were several inches deep. He said that the depth of those wounds, how many she had, I think it was four, and the force that would have been behind those wounds could mean it was a homicide. He said, quote, that is not the typical pattern of someone who commits suicide through a sharp instrument like that, end quote. Another thing he noted that was not indicative of suicide was that Ellen's stab wounds went through her clothing when most suicide victims expose skin. So that's like two people now who have said right. that. So. so Gregory McDonald is two for three. It's a homicide. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So we got to keep scoring. So currently we have one person saying suicide and we have the most everybody, everybody else. else saying homicide. The other expert that the Philadelphia Inquirer used was retired chief criminal investigator for the Washington State Attorney General's Office, Robert D. Keppel. He investigated two serial killers in his time in law enforcement, Ted Bundy and Gary Ridgway, the Green River Killer. Whoa, he had some huge ones. Yeah, so he's like a guy you want to ask some questions to. He even wrote a book about Ridgway, and he said that the knife being stuck in Ellen's chest was significant to him because he's never seen that in a suicide before. He said, quote, in this particular case, there's so many wounds, it almost looks like somebody else is doing their thing with her. End quote. Like a rage, you know, like just. Yeah. Guy D'Andrea, the former prosecutor I mentioned earlier, said, quote, for every piece of evidence someone could point to and say, this was a suicide, I think someone could reasonably, on the other end, point to evidence, even sometimes that same evidence, and say that it would suggest a homicide. End quote. It really is. Yeah. Really hard to say, is like, what he's saying. Yeah, like, because you have p- credentialed people, you're supposed, experts you can trust, and they are all over the board. This really stinks. So, most are saying homicide, one is saying suicide, but then Gregory McDonald was kind of split, like, could be a suicide, could be a homicide. So, it's really, like, yeah. divided. Okay, so you, I'm not as angry as the police, at the police for, you know. I'm angry that the police felt like they could determine your cause of death. But, yeah, that's a little overreaching. But but on the surface to me, it just doesn't seem like suicide. Like, my gut is just not saying suicide. Yeah, I, I wish that they'd asked a lot more questions early on. Like, I mean, yeah, I keep looking at this fiancé, and listen, no, I'm assuming that no one has named him as a suspect, so guys don't, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I just feel like no signs of, a, like, of an intruder. You're the last person like, saw her. But you live there, so you're going to have signs of you in there, right? You guys didn't mention that. Mm-hmm. You guys didn't. You know what I mean? I just yeah. want I would want to know more. But we would like to talk to Samuel. <laughs> yeah. I don't I'm not uh, I'm not going to reach accusing out. Accusing you. Yeah. Samuel, I just have questions. I just have questions. On the Dr. Oz episode, they showed 3D images of Ellen's stab wounds, and I have a few stills of that that I'll post on social media, and I'm also going to link you to that episode that aired on December 5th. So Remember the two and a half inch long wound across her scalp that was a gash or a laceration? Mm-hmm. Well, it seems that that injury, at least according to some of the outside opinions, was not inflicted with the same knife. <gasps> not that serrated one, because that wound was described as smooth. If we flash back to the crime scene info I gave you, you remember that there was two clean knives in and the kitchen see, sink. I do remember that. You're yeah. very good at foreshadowing. Thank you. All the feels. So, remember that the apartment is locked from the inside using a swing bar? Mm. 
both Tom Brennan and Guy D'Andrea mention that there are plenty of videos on YouTube about how you can manipulate that locking mechanism. I watched so many today. Freaks me out. Are I'm, you kidding? Yeah, like someone can have – no, he just like – oh my gosh. With, you, like, with a magnet, I'm assuming. This guy looked like he was using an index card, honestly. But <gasps> Such simple Just tools. like Google it if you want to never feel safe in your home. Don't Google it if you are creepy. Yes. So you want to use it criminals, for evil. These videos do not exist. But that's not what Tom Brennan thinks happens. He doesn't think somebody manipulated this locking mechanism. So in order for that door to be forced open, and he actually does a really great job of explaining this on Dr. Oz if you want to watch it, but in order for that door to have been forced open, the lock would have had to have been completely separated from either the part of the door it was fastened to or the part of the door frame. And it wasn't on either side in this instance. I sent you a picture of the lock. Oh, <gasps> here we go. There are four screws that attach the mechanism to the door. And in the photo, there are only three screws. The door <gasps> is also damaged. You can see, like, the particle board is cracked or broken around where the lock was screwed into the door. Yes. Tom Brennan said because of this, there should have been a fourth screw on the ground near the door. And also particle board fragments by the door. There were neither. His opinion is that the crime scene was cleaned up, but someone cleaned up too well, and now there are anomalies. So this is what I'm saying. I know There's I have a lot of ways to like literal goosebumps it. right now. Yeah, to to look like I mean, because I just don't understand. It doesn't look like suicide. We've discussed yeah. that in, in great depth. But then I just feel like it's just too convenient. Like, oh, I just went to the gym for 30 minutes. And came back in this. You can't like, even get a good workout in 30 minutes. Yeah, that's right. Not if you want to be buff. I don't work out. Um, so <laughs> I run. And even then I run more than 30 minutes. Like, yeah. week. So Dr. Oz asks him, how did the murderer get in the apartment? And Tom answers, quote, I believe the individual who committed this crime was already in the apartment. End quote. Dr. Oz asked him if he knows if the authorities have identified any potential suspects, and Brennan says, quote, that he isn't aware of any, but that the police have not given their investigative team access to their reports or interviews that they may have conducted. But they but were they on team suicide the from the beginning, so they weren't doing interviews. I just feel like that's, that's such an unfortunate oversight. I mean, if you want to close it and call it a suicide, just I just feel like you got to be sure. Like, do everything to dot your I's and cross your T's so that you're sure and that you're sure you can give the family an answer that they can sleep at night. Yeah. I mean, they're not going to sleep at night, but... So not saying he did it, but it if that's what we're going with, like if we're going with the cleanup scene, it would be that she was murdered before he went to the gym. He went to the gym to create an alibi. He came back. He had manipulated the locking mechanism to lock himself out. Then he did kick that door down. He sent all of these texts to also corroborate what's going on, but she was dead before he even went to the gym. Yeah, I could definitely see that being see that. the case. I just I, But I like don't he kicks know. the door down and he goes in and he's not gonna actually go try to save her, so he has time to clean up the scene right there. Like the the wood particles and the screw, when in reality he should have left them because it would have helped him with his I kick the kid. door down in a frenzy thing. Yeah. Not that you did it. Not that you didn't. It was do like it. a keypad too. Didn't you say something about a it was a key card to the building, okay, not to mind. the unit, yeah. Hmm. In October of 2019, the Greenbergs filed a lawsuit in the Philadelphia Court of Common Pleas against the medical examiner's office and Marlon Osborne, the person who flip-flopped on their decision. Yeah. It, I, like I said, I just don't feel good about that. You shouldn't be able to be persuaded if you're making an independent ruling mm -hmm. on what what's the manner of death. So their lawyer said, quote, 
Under Pennsylvania law, the determination and manner of death is always open to reconsideration based on new evidence, and in this case, there's considerable new evidence, end quote. Her family believes there was a second knife that wasn't recovered at the scene and that Marlon Osborne was pressured by police to change his ruling to match their beliefs. Apparently, at some point, he admitted to changing the cause of death, quote, at the insistence of police because they said there was a lack of defensive wounds, end quote. The way that Osborne described Ellen's wounds in his autopsy is where the thought of two knives come from, because some wounds were described as being smooth and others were described as being serrated. So they didn't create this idea on their own. He gave it to them in his report. Right. So like, I was stabbed with a serrated knife. And I remember when I was in the emergency room to get my stitches, the guy telling me how lucky I was that this wasn't more jagged because it's serrated and that it was relatively easy to sew up, but that it would have been a much smoother cut had the blade been smooth. Yeah. So, like, so there's you a can tell a difference. To, yeah. yeah, you can distinguish between the two types of wounds. I mean, it's strange because it seems like Marlon, mm -hmm. your boy, I mean, I feel like his gut was right. Yeah. I, w I hope he, I don't know if anything else has developed in this situation, but I hope he just was like, yeah, you're probably right. Their lawsuit includes 3D recreations that I mentioned were shown on Dr. Oz. I sent you them too. Yes, that I show the location, size, depth, and angle of all the knife wounds. And that alone, just like, if that doesn't make you think homicide, when you see how yeah. many on this. It's all, pretty gruesome. We'll share it on Facebook and on Instagram. It's a recreation, but yeah. It's, like, it's a, yeah, it's just like a. It's steady not a, yourself. It it's looks intense. like a mannequin with like, you know, a clip yeah. art of a knife, but it's still like unsettling to see it. The yeah, you're looking at yeah. You guys gotta look at yeah. this. If you're looking at this, there's no way someone did this to themselves. No way. The family believes because of the amount of experts they hired, who have knowledge and experience to come to these conclusions. So, aka, not the cops, who you know have no authority to determine anything like this, and is always done by the medical examiner. But anyway, they think that science shows it would be impossible for Ellen to have inflicted the wounds on her body because at least one wound, maybe more damaged her spinal cord or brain so severely that she would not have been able to continue on and therefore could not have caused the final fatal wound to her chest. That's a super sad story. I feel like this, if, if you're a cop and you stumble on a scene like this, you gotta, you gotta want somebody to be held responsible yeah. if someone executes them off someone. the street. Yeah. Yeah. This, this, yeah. But I, no persons of interest have been identified. But here, since you said this is a sad story, let me give you a glimmer of hope. Okay. So that lawsuit that I just told you about that was filed in October, well, January 8th, so just last week, they found out that the objections from the Philadelphia Medical Examiner's Office and Dr. Osborne were overruled and that her case can proceed through the courts and be reopened. <gasps> oh, that is good. It might be months or maybe years before real progress is made, but now they're at least being forced to look at the cause of death and why he changed his ruling. Yeah. I so. had an, I had another thought when you were talking about, I mean, I guess when they, okay, two thoughts. And after finding her, when the cops were just like, hey, we're going to look at her mental illnesses as like the reason for all this, I feel like that's a real disservice. Just because somebody suffers from mental issues doesn't automatically mean that that's just like yeah. the way that things go. Yes, different medications have different side effects. You can consider it, but consider everything then. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing is, with her laptop, can you imagine that search query being from the person who did it? Especially if they're often 
In the apartment? Wouldn't that be convenient? Often in the apartment and searching a manner of death that could be attributed to the victim. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, so well, how a, do I kill her in a way that's painless? Yeah, like, yeah, what, oh my gosh, I totally see where you go. At first I was just like, oh, he did it to, like, help his own case. But no, maybe he was, he, I'm saying he, it could be she, whatever. They looked it up because they were doing their own research because they wanted to kill her. That's, yeah, that's what I mean. Oh my gosh. I, sometimes I wish we could cuss because mind. <gasps> blown. Yeah, blown. There we go. Because I was not the word I, I was going <laughs> to yeah, <cuss>. yeah. <laughs> So, that's where things are today, kind of in limbo. There's ongoing litigation, and at the time of this recording, Ellen Greenberg's death is still officially classified as a suicide. Sunday, January 26th, will be nine years since she was mysteriously stabbed to death while being allegedly alone in her locked apartment. If you'd like more information about this case, you can visit the Justice for Ellen Facebook page. If you have any information about the death of Ellen Greenberg, please contact the Philadelphia Police Department's 5th District at 215-686-3050. You can also submit tips online at phillypolice.com. Thank you for listening to Sideline Sleuths. If you have any comments or questions about this case or just feedback about the show in general, you can find us online at facebook.com slash sidelinesleuths. And if you haven't already had the chance, please rate and review the show on iTunes, Facebook, or any social media or streaming platforms available.